Welcome to the Scarleteers podcast, where we talk about our favorite show, Miss Scarlet and the Duke. All right, welcome back to the Scarleteers podcast, everyone. Yay! Woo! All right, we have a great one today. Um, Lindsay, why don't you introduce our guest? Who are we talking to? I am super, super, super excited today because uh, we have a very special guest joining us. And uh, we would love to welcome the Miss Scarlet and the Duke co-writer. And I'm going to call you Rachel's left-hand man because Patty is her <laughs> right-hand woman, uh, Mr. Ben Edwards. Yay! <laughs> Hello. Thank you very much. Yeah, I'll take that left-hand man. That's all right. <laughs> <laughs> welcome and thank you so much for joining us. Uh, I'm, I'm genuinely so chuffed to, to have a chat with you. Um. I've had a, t- a look at your uh, kind of IMDb as as we'd kind of do before we we kind of start these podcasts and everything, and I was slightly surprised and slightly unsurprised at just how many of the amazing shows in the UK that you've kind of written for. For example, the the Good Karma Hospital, Trolleyed, Wild at Heart, the Armstrong and Miller show. The I have to say the UK version of Shameless because uh, for our American fans there is an American version as well. And then my my personal favourite and why I'm so excited to chat to you is obviously Stella, which uh, was a a big hit for me here. Um, and so welcome and thank you so much. Uh, You're welcome. It's lovely to be here. <laughs> our first kind of question for you is, you know, was writing something you always enjoyed and how did you get started? Um, I... I don't know about always. I mean, I didn't write, you know, as a kid, I, I only wrote at school when I sort of had to. But um, I probably started writing, I would say when I was at university, I was doing um, a history degree and I did find it a little bit boring at the time. So I started doing uh, student radio and doing that. I was doing some uh, sketch comedy, which was, I'd say it was terrible, but it's <laughs> it's great because that's where you learn all the basics of, uh, you know, just at least turning up and delivering something on time there's an awful lot of basic stuff that that is really important to writing and I found that I really enjoyed it and so after during my time at university I thought that's maybe a something I want to do and after university I tried to get a job in in tv but the only job I could get the job I ended up getting was a very weird one it was it's called a continuity announcer do you know what that is no so a continuity announcer is, you know, the, the voices on TV that introduce the programs. So coming up next, yes. EastEnders or whatever. So it's one of those people. And it's a, it's a really weird job. But I, I, I had this theory that just any job in TV might lead to something else. And that one didn't really. It was a bit of a dead end thing. You would sit there for hours on end, just in a little sound studio watching TV. And every half an hour or so, a red light comes on and you go, you know, that was this program coming up next, the next program. But it was quite funny because everybody who did that job had to speak in a one of those voices. You know where you speak with a velvety voice like that. <laughs> but there was a variety <laughs> of different personalities. And I thought it would be quite funny to write a, a script, a comedy script about someone that spoke like that when they were on air, but actually was just a horror of a human being in their private life. So I wrote a script, sent it round uh, to lots of agents and I got represented by one. And, and it went from there, really. So. Two bits of boredom, I think, was how I got started. First at university and then um, in a job that uh, where I just had to sit there for hours. So that's how I got wow. started. I mean, yeah. definitely you should start joining Richard James if he starts recording his books. 
Okay, I will. <laughs> That's a great, that is a great sound over voice. <laughs> um, so, so I guess then script writing is probably something that you, that, that that's kind of easily flowed into it in a way then rather than kind of more book writing. Because Rachel, when we spoke to her, said there were two very different styles of writing. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think but for me personally, it was always screenplays, so TV or film that I wanted to do. I think maybe I, you know, because it was the golden generation that was very formative for me of, of TV, like Sopranos mm-hmm. and Six Feet Under, you know, sort of late 90s, early 2000s. Mm-hmm. And I love those shows. That's what would have inspired me to write, I think, rather than to write for, for TV, rather than, say, writing plays or novels. Now, sometimes I do wish I had written novels because there's no limits. You can do anything. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no budget. There's no uh, stress of filming in the freezing cold or 40 degree heat or waiting for the light <laughs> to be right. You can do anything you want, really. In fact, now I'm talking about it, I'm going to do that. That sounds great. I'm going to write a novel. There you go. Oh, you could, you yeah. could take over from Rachel and write a uh, Miss Scarlet and the Duke novel. <laughs> there you go. Just make sure we get some accreditation or... <laughs> You'll get your 10% that way. <laughs> yeah. So how much did Rachel have to convince you to join the writing process? For Miss Scarlet and the Duke, or how much were you involved in the original story? Did she come to you and go, hey, Ben, I have this idea, or did she say, you're writing this, whether you want it to or <laughs> well, not? I, I don't know if your listeners know this, maybe some of them will, but uh, Rachel and I are married, so yeah. that is part of the answer. But um, <laughs> now, I, I didn't need much convincing. I can remember exactly what happened. This would be maybe about five years ago, and Rachel said that she was going to... Um, she, had, she said she had an idea uh, to write about the first female detective in Victorian London. And I did think, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. But to be honest, loads of things sound like a good idea when you say them as a one line pitch. You know, like, I don't know, yeah. let's do a movie of the hit musical Cats. Sounds like a good idea. <laughs> Doesn't always work out, right? Mm, yeah. So the devil's in the detail. So and this was something she was going to write herself. And, you know, the, the questions are always who are the characters? What's the story? What's the tone? All of that stuff. So she went away, wrote the script, maybe two or three weeks and showed me the first draft. And honestly, it was really, really good. And I always say this. I had this mix of enjoyment at reading a good story and jealousy that she's written <laughs> something so good. Yeah. Because writers are very insecure, petty people. I'll tell you that. <laughs> but, uh, so, so really, the, the honest answer is in terms of the actual idea and the architecture of the world and the first script, I had very little to do with it. I read it. I gave a few notes, probably just to stop Rachel getting too cocky. But um, genuinely, (laughs) the plot was there. The characters were there. Everything was pretty much there. Then when the show got greenlit and the series was being developed, that's when we started storylining it together. But essentially, I hate to say it's all her. (laughs) So we talked to Rachel about her writing process and what she does and what kind of thoughts she goes through to get to the story idea. What's your process when you are writing for a script? And do you have any tricks for inspiration if you're stuck? The um, So the writing process, it really depends what stage you are at with with the project. So if something is completely new like, and you've just had the spark of an idea, I wouldn't say there's, there's a process as such. I mean, you can research a little bit around the subject matter you're interested in, you know, do a bit of reading around it, whatever. But really, the big thing is to work out who your characters are and what it is they want. So I can't say, you know, unfortunately, I think there's there's no substitute for just setting aside some quiet time sitting there and hoping the inspiration flows. And sometimes it does. Sometimes it doesn't. And that is 
I would say this is the that's the worst bit of writing because it's very hard to know how long it will take or if anything good will come of it. A lot of ideas fall by the wayside at that stage. So that's the early bit. When on, say, Miss Scarlet, like now anyway, it's completely different because the show exists and I know what the rules are of the show. Um, I know who, what the characters sound like, what they look like, what the world is. And so I storyline that with Rachel. So we'll do everything from sitting at a laptop together to putting up post-it notes to going for a walk around the park and making voice notes on our phones and <laughs> having people look at us as we go. Maybe the dead body's found with a knife in its neck. <laughs> um, and then really, once you've got the ideas down, an awful lot of it. I, this is such a cliche, but it's the perspiration and inspiration thing, right? You, got, you get the inspiration, but mm. when you get to the stage where you actually have to write the script, there really isn't any substitute for just sitting down there, treating it as a job and doing your, your hours per day or your pages per day. And when it comes to, say, a script, I think every writer is kind of different. So there are some people who will just blast it out as quickly as they can and then rewrite. That's called a vomit draft. Um, which is, as it sounds, you know, it's not very nice, but it's splurging it all on the page as quick as you can and then editing what you've got. Other writers like to pour over every line and go slower so that when they're done, they're done. Me personally, I, like, I sort of treat it a bit like homework in that I divide the script into sections. So uh, a, a Miss Scarlet script is about 54 pages long. So if you do six pages a day for nine days, you'll be done. And that's basically my process is whatever happens when I'm writing the script, just whatever happens, you hit those six pages, you do it, you get it down. Then you take a day off so that your brain can do whatever it does when you're not actually staring at the screen. And then you rewrite it probably another four or five times. So that's basically my process. Wow. Is it harder to write for a character or a scene or like a script for an unknown character or is it like harder to write um, scripts for like a season two or season three for, like you said, you know, the rules for Miss Garland Duke. Is it harder hmm. to now that so they, you know they, the parameters? Yeah. It, it, well, so um, writing for a character that you haven't written for before on the good side, anything's possible because you haven't already run out. You can't, you can't go, Oh, I've already done that story. On the, the, the bad side, it is worse because you don't know what they sound like. You don't know how they would behave. And at this stage with, say, Eliza and Duke and, and the other regular characters, we have a good idea. I mean, we literally know what they sound like, but also you could take a guess at how they would behave, an educated guess about how they behave in certain circumstances. So, again, against that, I suppose the downside is you go, let's say, if you go, oh, let's do an episode about, uh, I don't know, giving women the vote. And you go, oh, we've done that. So that's the harder thing about the more you go on with the series, but generally it's much easier to write uh, a character you've already written. Okay. So, so obviously as fans of the show, we've, we've really taken Eliza and William to heart and, and they make such a good kind of pairing both in a romantic sense, but also in that kind of crime solving sense. What do you think makes them so special and, mm. and has kind of lit this spark in the fans about them? Oh, good question. Um, well, uh, one of the things I love, I love the fact that Eliza is this force of nature and Duke is sort of trapped between loving that about her, but also being really infuriated by it. And, you know, like he says in the first episode, I can handle anything, but I, I can't handle you. And that's quite funny. I, I sort of love that dynamic. But um, I also think what's great about the world that Rachel created is 
Eliza and Duke, they're not a crime fighting duo in the classic sense, because most crime fighting duos work on the same side for the same organisation. So, I don't know, Mulder and Scully work for the FBI, Holmes and Watson are, I mean, they're not both private detectives, but they always work together on the same side. But with Eliza and Duke, it's a bit more complicated. So sometimes he hires her, which makes him her client, which brings his own problems. Sometimes they compete against each other to solve the case. So that's quite an unusual dynamic, I think, for a crime show. That's what I like. Mm -hmm. So in season one, you wrote episode five, Cell 99, which don't tell Rachel, but a lot of us Scarleteers say it's our favorite episode from season (laughs) one. But you also wrote episode four, Memento Mori. Both of those episodes have a different feel and are a bit more creepy and dark. Is that your sort of vibe? And where do you start with writing an episode? Do you come up with the idea of the case or do you start at the beginning and then develop this sort of different feel? Uh, okay, that's another great question. Uh, firstly, I am going to tell Rachel that <laughs> because I love <laughs> her. She'll probably listen. But I'm definitely going to tell that. I'm going to rub her nose in it. And actually, honestly... Probably Cell 99 is my favourite too, although, as a little teaser, there's an episode in season three, yet to come, that I've written that yeah. I, I think is pretty close. But in terms of the, the two episodes you mentioned, uh, Memento Mori, that came through uh, research, really. I can't remember who it was. So it might have been me, it might have been Rachel, it might have been one of our producers, actually. Someone found a book on post-mortem photography, sometimes called death photography, and I just love that gothic creepiness you know taking photos of your loved ones after they died in that period after the death before the the funeral and so we got talking about what Eliza might make of this what she would make of Victorian attitudes to death generally she's quite a forward-thinking person um, because you know they were very into um, the supernatural stuff and the spiritual side of things and then we thought well everybody loves a ghost story so let's add a little bit of that but obviously have a rational explanation because it's a show that's set in the real world so that's how that came about through research that cell 99 i have to admit was a slightly more practical thing in that one of our producers said can you do a bottle episode it'll be cheaper um bottle episode i'm sure you, your listeners know but if not it's one where the, the characters are stuck together for an extended period of time and actually this episode ended up being one of the most expensive so it didn't work anyway but um, <laughs> we thought it'd be a good idea to get them stuck together for you know a big chunk of the episode and the first draft of it actually was set on board a night train from Glasgow to London. Oh, and wow. It was a, sort of the same idea, but it didn't quite work. There were, partly it's the practicalities of finding a train to film on. Like we could have done a bit of it in the studio, but it wasn't quite right. And then you still need exterior shots of a train traveling through the night. And I know also the story wasn't quite working. And we were filming in Dublin and someone suggested, how about a prison? And there are a couple of abandoned uh, prisons that one of them's a museum, I think, and another one is is a con- just a condemned building. And we um, we filmed in them, and and we wrote the I wrote the episode around that. That, and in fact, there were two prisons used in the episode Cell Ninety Nine: one for the exterior, and one for the interior. So that's how those came about. Wow. I'd love the idea of it being on a train, but it, I, know, I don't think though. it would have the same effect as the as the prison. Yeah, it totally was good. I can't remember. Yeah, I can't. I liked what was good was it stopped a couple of times and different people got on and off. <laughs> and so it seemed good, but there was definitely a reason. It wasn't just money in the end. It was just there was something about it wasn't quite working. And then when I went and had a look around um, 
one of these prisons and it just looked amazing and it was so spooky and obviously like when it's deserted too we just thought there's something very victorian about it so mm. that's how that came about wow um we kind of linked a bit into our next question obviously you just said that you were doing history at, at university does that kind of help with the victorian area do you have to kind of do a lot of research when you're thinking of a case or a crime or how to kind of make it more victorian and because I suppose the show in itself is is kind of modern day Victorian in some ways. It kind of is a good mix. So does that kind of help or? Yeah, I think, I mean, in essence, the the sources that we would use would be history books, novels and the Internet, basically. Mm -hmm. And sometimes, actually, sometimes we do what I suppose you call them field trips. We went to, um, Rachel and I went to uh, Charles Darwin's house in Kent, which was absolutely amazing. And that actually became the inspiration for the second episode of season two there where uh, Charles Darwin uh, dies and he, he leaves a legacy of some uh, some drawings behind. But um, generally speaking, what we do with Miss Scarlet is think of a subject like death photography, for example, then talk about what kind of twists to give it. So in that instance, a, a dead woman starts appearing in the photographs. And then once you've got that sort of seed of an idea, then you start researching because you know what you're looking for. So, so do you have like, um, do you sometimes all go like for a walk around London and find interesting buildings and think, oh, that could be useful and, and things like that? Does that help? Oh, I wish it did. That would make it an awful lot easier, wouldn't it? <laughs> I, I can only think when I'm walking along the Thames, looking at the river. No, no, not really. Um, it's different each time. Sometimes, actually, sometimes it can be really cheaty and easy. Like um, also with the Charles Darwin thing, I remember just literally putting 1882 into uh into google <laughs> and it came up with a list of events and one of them was charles darwin died so, <laughs> so sometimes sometimes you can read all the wonderful books you want and other times you just go well that's good thanks google there you go. <laughs> so fan fiction writers there's a good hint just google yeah, exactly. or whatever well, you're writing with there's a phrase in the uh, fortune favors the prepared mind yeah there you go I, I think yeah. when we were um, kind of when the first episode titles for season two came out, we did kind of do a little bit of Googling trying to go, hmm, I wonder what this could mean. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we I totally that wrong. Was great. I really, really enjoyed that. Mm-hmm. Oh, I can imagine you guys were just laughing at us with our <laughs> absolutely out there yeah, theories. I, I thought what was good was it was entertaining. I mean, just, we weren't laughing at all. I thought, why not? <laughs> I wouldn't have got, I wouldn't have been able to guess any better than you did. Oh. <laughs> Oh, I you. love that you guys listen to us being silly, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. So you also wrote two episodes for season two, uh, Quarter to Midnight and The Proposal. Without giving too much away for those who haven't seen it, what inspired you for those two episodes? So The Proposal is hard to go into without giving any spoilers away because it's a series finale, but Quarter to Midnight is about uh, a famous novelist who is in the frame for a series of intriguing murders. And that actually, that came from another field trip, which is uh, we went to Charles Dickens' house uh, in London, which is, uh, which is a museum and you can just wander around it. So you can see a theme emerging here. So the inspiration is go to the house of a famous dead person, basically. <laughs> That's hey, that sounds like a good field trip to me. I'd do it. Mm-hmm. You must have quite a few kind of haunted places in in Chicago and and Illinois to go see. Uh, Yeah, I would say we do. Yeah. (laughs) 
Yeah. Uh, so did you um did you get to go out to Belgrade much and see much of the filming? Uh yeah, well in fact, funnily enough, I was due to direct an episode of season oh, wow. three. And oh. I was out there for quite a while, a good few weeks uh, preparing for it. And we started filming and on the end of the first day of filming, I got a tap on the shoulder and they went, You've got COVID. Oh, no. <laughs> we we no. continually tested the whole time when we were out there. And I have to say, that morning I woke up and I was like, oh, it's just like, <coughs> I'm not quite sure what that is. It'll be fine. <laughs> oh, no. So I did uh, a day of filming and then spent the next week in isolation in a flight in Belgrade. Um, but it oh. is a lovely city. It is a lovely city. What I saw of it was really, really good. But the uh, the one week in a uh, one bed flat, not so much. Oh, bless you. <laughs> <laughs> I have to say it worked out very well. And guess who stepped in and directed? Oh, Rachel. Rachel. Yep. Oh. <laughs> so there we go. That's a little thing for season three. No. So is it kind of because obviously you've worked on a lot of different shows. Is it often that the writers can go and watch the filming? Because or do you usually just kind of hand over the script and that's it? Your job's done. So that varies from show to show. On Miss Scarlet, I do go on the set a bit, but on I would say most shows, certainly in the UK. Uh, an episodic writer, you might turn up and have a look around for a few hours when they're filming, but there's not really a lot to do. And once you get, once you've been doing it a while and you're used to the fun, and it is fun of hearing actors say your lines, um, it's it's sort of a bit like, you know, when they have bring a child to work day and the kids just sort of sitting there <laughs> doing it. It's a little bit like, and so I would say on most British shows, it is what you just said, which is you do sort of, you work on it, you kind of hand in your work and they go, yeah, if you want to come down to set, come down to set. But when you do, you are, everyone else is so busy and you're just sitting there. So on the other shows, I don't tend to. So it must have been a nice kind of different experience for you then to be able to kind of go and see. Oh, yeah, it's completely different on Miss Scarlet because also I know the actors and um, I know uh, Rachel, obviously, <laughs> and know all the producers. So it's a completely different thing. And it must help to kind of, you know, as you're getting into these characters' heads, kind of work out what 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 to do next with them and where to go next and kind of have oh, conversations completely, completely. with the actors. Yeah, absolutely. So what are some of the aspects that you think make Miss Scarlet and the Duke special, make it really work for the fans? I think uh, lots of things, really, but uh, the tone is one thing. You know, it's, that, it's funny and romantic, but sometimes it can be dark or, or have some action. And I think the... The character relationships, too, so not just Eliza and Duke, but, say, Eliza and Ivy or Eliza and Moses. And um, also in season two, uh, Duke and Fitzroy. And for anyone who hasn't seen it yet, I won't spoil it, but Fitzroy is played by a a great actor called Evan McCabe, is uh, a junior officer who starts under Duke's command. And they have, uh, I think, the relationship between the two of them is great. So it's that kind of thing, really. So what are some favourite scenes in the show that you have or what are some parts that you've written that you really thought were better than you could have imagined happening so this is one of the the joys of us writing for the screen as opposed to say novels which is that um actors can take your words and, and sometimes make them better or put a different spin on it or a director or an editor can can I don't know, make a choice that improves you know the what's on the page and when that happens believe me i'll take all the credit for it as well but um, if we if I had to pick a favourite scene, <laughs> it's probably yeah okay it would be the cell ninety nine 
when uh, Duke first comes in to rescue Eliza, you know, when they're on opposite mm-hmm. sides of that locked door and she's in the cell. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what I, I love about it is it goes through, it's quite a long scene as well. It's maybe like five or six minutes. And what I, I love about it is it goes through all the different emotions and feelings they have for each other. So there's Eliza's relief of being rescued and Duke's relief that she's alive, she's okay. Then he starts getting irritated that she got herself into the mess. <laughs> then she kind of calms him down and she's quite tender when she realises things aren't going well for him at work and she's encouraging. And then she gets irritated by him when he admits he hasn't told his boss about working with her. And so they just go through everything and it all ends up with Duke storming off and both of them screaming at the top of their voices. So I love how it just goes through. It's almost like a microcosm of the series. And and Kate Stewart really nailed that. I thought it was great. I think that's definitely like one of the favourite scenes of a lot of fans. For me, it was one of when I was first watching. I remember it kind of being, oh, hang on, I've missed something here. I think I need to get to the end of this and go back and start again because what, what? Hang on. <laughs> I just love this. Well, there's, there's a lovely bit where he's he's picking the lock and she's talking to him and she's going, just, just, and she's sort of trying to tell him how to do it. And he's just going, I know. And I think that is the <laughs> essence of their dynamic. You know, it's just the way that someone that knows you really well can just irritate the crap out of you. <laughs> it's a bit like driving and somebody's telling you directions. Like, I know uh, where I'm going. <laughs> exactly that. Uh, I mean, we have so many great characters on the show um, from, you know, Eliza and William to Moses and Mr. Potts and Ivy and and kind of our new characters of Hattie and Fitzroy and maybe even Nash, who's not my personal favourite. But (laughs) what do you enjoy writing about them and what do you think makes them characters that that we all love as fans? I think the, the start point with those characters is looking at how they interact with Eliza. So, I don't know, you could say, say, pick Mr. Potts, who's played by Simon Ludders, who, um, he won't let her, Eliza, into the mortuary, so she has to run rings around him, or Ivy. <laughs> Ivy is, uh, played fantastically by Kathy Belton. She's like a worried mum, which gives mm-hmm. you that dynamic of someone that cares about Eliza, but also nags her. And there's also the fact that Ivy is this traditional Victorian woman who, cooks and cleans and sews none of which Eliza can do and there's something I love about that dynamic whenever that comes up that sort of frustration again of just you really should be able to do these things but I can't let you do these things but I really have to do them for you but you really ought to be able to do them and I love all that and then uh, Moses just <laughs> played by Ansu he's just he's fantastic because I think he recognizes a kindred spirit in her like someone who doesn't play by the rules um but he also works for her, and so he's always wanting to know, like, am I going to get paid for this? Which I always really <laughs> love about uh, Moses. And also, on a really little thing, I must ask Rachel about this. His hat is sort of, you know, it's like a sort of Western, like a mm-hmm. Clint Eastwood kind of cowboy mm-hmm. thing. And I don't know if that came from Rachel or the wardrobe, or the, the wardrobe department. I must ask them. But I love that about him, that sort of man with no name thing, or man with one name, anyway. I think yeah. I remember in an interview her saying that she kind of had this idea of, like, a Western cowboy who kind of comes in with that kind of western music and yeah i really should of... listen to her interview shouldn't i <laughs> <laughs> i think it was in the written one somewhere that if you want me right, to take this right. part of the podcast out i mean i can't edit it <laughs> yeah out. please just just edit it edit out that bit but leave in the okay. bit about uh, cell 99 being a fan favorite okay okay i will <laughs> <laughs> So you've worked on a lot of comedy and drama shows, and season two 
feels like there's a bit more comedy in the show. What's your favorite genre to write in, and what does writing a crime drama different from it? Uh, what's another great question? Um, I, I like writing anything with a good story in it, which is why crime dramas are kind of the gift that keeps on giving. I've written quite a bit of comedy over the years, um, not so much recently. And I think the story in a sitcom is obviously important, but the main, you know, the number one rule is it has to be funny. And so for me personally, after a while, I think I did find that quite a strain. And that's why I prefer writing, say, comedy drama or action comedy, where there's more of a story to hang the jokes off. So you can almost choose to be funny when you want to be funny and make it come from character. There are certain, you know, certain comedies I've worked on where they're like, right, you need another two jokes in that scene. And sometimes that can be a bit harder where you just it, you can force it a little bit. So I think it's I prefer anything where the story is dominant so that, like I say, you can have um, something to hang the jokes off. Yeah, that makes sense. And I have to say, there is a bit in season two um, between William and Eliza in the second episode where she gets a load of pictures and she's like, they're all fake. And he's like, no, really? <laughs> and I was just like, oh, <laughs> I felt like William had good... a little bit more humour to him in episode two. <laughs> They've got very good uh, comic timing, both of them, I think. Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm going to take a moment here because, you know, I, you, it's not very often you get to speak to, to somebody like yourself. One of my favourite shows was um, Stella, which for our American friends who probably have never seen it, it's um, a drama, comedy drama set in, in the Welsh Valleys about um, a woman called Stella. And when I first watched season one and I saw your name come up on episode four, I genuinely squealed paused the tv and went straight to imdb because i was like i swear he wrote stella and i was like oh my god you did and i was so excited and i was like if i didn't already enjoy the show i was like i'm definitely going to enjoy this now because i i loved loved the writing on stella and um i've realized shockingly that simon ludders who plays the wonderful mr potts also wrote stella which That's I was right. When... We, we, yeah, Simon and I were a, uh, were a, a writing team. Uh, he's wow. a very good friend of mine. I've known, I've known him for years, and we wrote all of the episodes uh, together. And that's how I got involved with it, actually, because um, he was uh, he knew Ruth Jones. He'd worked with her, and it was a bit of nepotism. So she asked him to write, and he asked me to write. And then oh, I met wow. her, and we got on very well. And uh, so he was my in there, and we wrote. Oh, I don't know, maybe 10 episodes in a Christmas special. I can't remember. I'd have to look it up. But yeah. it was good, really, really good fun. And, and Ruth was coming off the back of, of Gavin and Stacey, which mm-hmm. was a huge hit at the time. And she was, I know it's, it's so difficult because you interview anyone in TV and you go, oh, she was lovely. She was amazing. <laughs> she was a darling. She was really, really nice and really sort of supportive. And when we'd have script meetings, you know, she might disagree, but sometimes she'd go, all oh, right, fine, if that's what you think. And she was really... um very very good she was a you know showrunner and also uh producer and and also starred in it she was lovely so it was yeah. it was a really fun experience i mean i i would title ruth jones and obviously steve spears who also worked on it as like comedy legends like i can't imagine ever being in a room with them and not just laughing my head off with them steve has the most fantastically funny hangdog face <laughs> he, i just he was honestly his, his character it was Big Alan, I think his character. Yeah. I just, I used to love writing for him. <laughs> we just, we just all be very mournful. Oh, everything he'd say would just be so mournful. 
there's one an episode that we wrote where um he's <laughs> he's looking at these fish and he <laughs> oh I, I won't do the whole thing but he's being forced into marrying this woman he doesn't want to marry and he looks yeah. at these fish and it's, it's one of them where it's the mandarin butterfly fish yeah. swims 1000 miles to meet a mate and then she eats him <laughs> i always really like that Quoting my own i word, love that terrible. scene because i know exactly what you're talking about and they're all sitting around the <laughs> dinner table yeah, yeah it was very very good fun there used to be I fantastic have... read-throughs as well they're about a big cast so maybe like mm. 30 or 40 people all sitting around a table doing a read-through and there was a lot of a lot of laughter it was really good i have to say maxine evans who um She's she's been in called the midwife, um, so I think some of our American <laughs> friends would would remember her from that. But her as Rianne, it genuinely lives rent free in my mind, um, <laughs> and I I think you know if I can plug her, if we could get her on Miss Scarlet as a Victorian vagrant walking around, pushing a dog in a trolley, <laughs> shouting whatever kind of Victorian slang you can get away with, you know that would that would make my day. That's because a very good thought. I have thought she was good, wasn't she? I do love a good swearing character. She's amazing. And to be honest, you probably wouldn't recognise her because um, her makeup and everything in Stella is so far removed from how she kind of looks in real life. She's so beautiful. <laughs> um, genuinely just uh, lives rent-free in my mind. So. <laughs> well, now that Lindsay's fangirl moment is over... <laughs> I'm going to have a small fangirl moment of myself. I am a Moses and Ansu fangirl extreme. So is it true? We read in the article that the it's just Moses reference is or the just Moses line is a reference to your work on Shameless. Is that true? Oh, that's interesting. No, absolutely not. Nothing to do with me. I would say. I'm pretty sure, like 99% sure, that was in the first draft of the first script that Rachel wrote. Moses is a man of mystery, and we don't ever know his surname. Um, so, um, yeah, it's nothing to do with me. Absolutely not. It was, it was all Rachel. Although I'll give you another teaser for season three. We find out a little bit more about Moses and his backstory, why he left Jamaica. Okay. Is it a true it. story, or is it one that he's making up? Now, there's a question. Ah, wow. you know we have to watch and see. Okay, well, we will. Don't worry. Um, in general, when working on a single episode of a show, would you find an idea and then write the whole script or would you kind of write the script and then write it in pieces or how would you write the single episode? How would it come together? Yeah. OK, so that, again, that depends on the show. So obviously, Miss Scarlet, Rachel and I work closely together. Uh, depends on the show you're working on. So let's say with Stella, wow. it's um, less a sort of story of the week show and more kind of, I think they call it a serial as opposed to a series. You know, the, the stories run right across every episode. Um, and there's a lot more cliffhangers that then get picked up in the, the next episode. So um, so Ruth gave all the writers outlines of what she wanted in each episode. So you kind of know what you're doing. So you, you get two or three pages. So one of them was, you know, it's a stag do and a hen do. These two people are going to argue. These two people are going to split up. The start of your episode is this. The end of your episode is that. So that was quite um, There's still within that. You have to work out like where they're going to do a stag do, what they're going to do, how's it going to turn out. But you had a good guideline because you had to on that show because every episode fed into the one next to it and picked up from from the one before it. On a show like, say, Good Karma Hospital, that is a, a story of the week show. 
So uh, you you tend to go in, pitch an idea for an episode, and then pretty much write it on your own. I mean, you have a broad idea of what's going on in the other episodes, but it matters a bit less in something like that because what you're writing is most of what you're writing is only relevant to your specific episode. But there are other things, you know, like, you know, I don't know, a, a, a love story that will that will run across the series. And then what you have to do is just you speak to the producers, read other people's scripts just to keep across anything that might affect you. And then sometimes they'll go, oh, do you know what? We're going to kill this character. And so then it comes back and you get that at the last minute and you go, oh, my God, <laughs> no, the character has been removed from my story. But essentially it varies from show to show. So but on, on the shows where it's just the story of the week, it's a bit easier. You can just have a rough idea of what other people are doing. Yeah, makes sense. That makes yeah. sense. So, so kind of when writing a script, then how do you know when you've written enough? Like you say, said Miss Scarlet is about fifty-six pages. How do you know? Like I never quite know how you know how long a scene is supposed to be and and <laughs> and that. So, well, it's a very interesting thing, and the truth is, no one really knows. It's all a bit of a guess. So okay. one thing is, so I would say probably a, a shooting script. So the, your first draft of the script is usually far too long. But the shooting script for Miss Scarlet is probably, say, between 53 and 55 pages. And you'll always shoot more than you actually need. So the running time in America in um, PBS is, I think, 51 minutes. And in the UK, it's 45. Um, so we tend to write a script that's slightly too long and then you can uh, lose stuff in the edit. But in terms of how long you need to write, it's supposed to be one minute of screen time per page of script. But that obviously varies depending on what you're writing. So if you're writing a scene where two people are arguing and they're going at hammer and tongue, a page of that is going to be really quick because obviously people talk quickly. They talk over each other when they argue. But if you're writing, I don't know, a scene where two people are on a first date and they've got nothing in common and it's really awkward and there's loads of pauses and silence, a page of that can be longer. So it's kind of an educated guess, but roughly speaking, on a show that uh, once you're up and running, once you've filmed it, you know what's about right. And so with Miss Scarlet, it's, you're aiming for about 53, 54 pages. So, so do you enjoy kind of writing characters that you know and you really get into or just making up a new character from scratch? Oh, I hate writing from scratch. It's so hard. <laughs> Because so many, you know, so many ideas just die at the <laughs> at the first <laughs> hurdle. So, you know, you could spend like a week going, oh, my God, I've had this brilliant idea. In fact, how can I say this without being indiscreet? There's, <laughs> there's somebody <laughs> I know who's a writer and it's not Rachel. There's somebody I know who's a writer who had a really good idea. And I'm like, oh, that's brilliant. And they started writing it. And then I had to say to them, have you seen like, this film that's come out? And they went, oh, my God, no, I haven't. And it's just literally the same thing. So sometimes that can be the danger with writing from scratch. It's much, much better to uh, write for a character you know. And ideally, you know, the more it goes on, the more when it's been filmed and you can you can hear them when you're writing. So with Miss Scarlet and the Duke, you know, I will literally hear uh, Kate or Stuart speaking. And as you're writing it, you can hear their voices. And also you get to see and learn the little ticks and quirks you know, the faces they pull, the mannerisms they have. And so it just helps when you're writing. So it's a slightly sort of, um, what's the word? It's organic, the right word? I don't know. Anyway, but it's an awful lot easier writing yeah. for people for a show that exists with characters you know. So other than Scarlet and the Duke, what has been your favourite project to work on? 
Well, there's a few. I mean, I think, apart from Stella that we've talked about, um, I wrote on a, a BBC comedy series called Cuckoo, which um, was, it had uh, Andy Samberg was in the first series. And then, do you remember Taylor Lautner? He was from Twilight. Yeah. He was in yeah. some of the other episodes. Yeah. And um, I wrote a few episodes, I think four episodes of that. that I was very pleased with the um, with the end product. That was quite funny. I also wrote on, and this is an interesting example. I wrote on a show, which I'm not going to name, but if you look on my IMDb, you'll be able to see it. But it's a studio <laughs> audience sitcom. And it was, let's just be kind and say it was not successful. In fact, it was it was pretty terrible. and Nothing fails like comedy when it fails. But the <laughs> process of making it was really good fun. I came out of it with some really good friends, like a couple of the other writers, one of the actors. And so even though like, we were traumatized by it, it was like a support group. But so the, the, the end product wasn't very good, but the actual working on it and also working on a studio show is different because you have a show at the end of the week. So you'll write it and it builds up to a, a sort of a performance in front of an audience. And that's quite a nice rhythm, you know, even when it doesn't go very well. But if I had to pick one, the thing that I'm probably most pleased with, I wrote a, a one off short film for Sky called uh, in the UK called Adolf Hitler, the artist, which was about uh, Hitler failing to get into art school. It was kind of a, a very dark comedy. And it had, um, so Ewan Rayon was in it. He was Ramsey in Game of Thrones, if you, you can know yeah. that. And also um, Rupert Grint from oh, Harry wow. Potter. He was in it too. Oh, yeah. That was, that was good fun. We filmed that in, in Poland over a couple of weeks. And uh, I'm really proud of the end product. So, yeah, I enjoyed that. Oh, wow. Mm. Um, so, obviously, Rachel maybe posted a little Instagram that we don't know if we're allowed to say too much about, but um, any upcoming projects you'd like to share with us? Well, I have a show, a greenlit show coming on Channel 5 in the UK, but Ooh. I can't say much more about it. So um, I'm not allowed to. So I would just say it's a four part action thriller. Ooh. Oh, nice. That well, should be on next Well, if you fancy week. having a chat with us about it when you're allowed to, we're always happy to listen. <laughs> I will. Yeah. So, as always, we love sharing um, the podcast with our fan group and everybody, and um, they've come up with some questions for you. Am I yeah, the best? Yep, there's some really great ones. So, here's the first one. It's from Sally on Facebook. How do you think about and or plan the pacing of the plot, especially if you don't know how many seasons there will be of the show? Okay. Um, well, what we do when we're uh, with the pacing of an episode is you break it down into five acts. So the first act, the first bit will be the section before the opening titles, and that will set up what the episode is going to be about. And then we always really like going into, imagine, you know, the, how the, opening titles begin with like a so we kind of it's nice to sort of build to sort of an explosive or action moment uh, there so for example in uh cell 99 you begin uh the the opening act is uh duke's under pressure at work and then i think ivy comes in and says eliza's missing so that's a sort of opening act and then after that to be honest it's like roughly every 10 pages or so roughly you put in some kind of surprise or twist so with Cell 99, it will be, you know, the opening 10 minutes, Duke is looking for Eliza, and then you cut to an abandoned prison, Eliza's going, help! And that's the end of the first act. And then you basically want four or five of those moments an episode, just to keep things rocking along. So it sounds quite prosaic when you say it like that, but it really helps just to continually add some energy to it. So that's how we deal with the pacing. 
Wow. So Sabrina on Facebook, similar kind of question. Um, for episodes, do you define the ending or a key moment first and build around it? Or do you kind of start with the story and then kind of work it? Or is it kind of, you know, Eliza's got to go through this, so therefore this is the, the story that kind mm. of builds around her? So personally, I don't tend to start with an ending. I tend to start with an idea. Um, mm-hmm. It could be one line, could just be an area of interest, like, uh, you know, death photography. And then you start thinking around it and you go, right, well, what twists happen along the way? Who are the guest characters? What's the crime? And perhaps most important, how can Eliza make Duke's life as difficult as possible? How do they cross over? That kind of thing. And mm-hmm. then once you know that, then you tend to, to build to an ending. I mean, in a, in a crime show, pretty much always the crime will be solved in some way. Mm-hmm. But uh, how it gets solved, yeah, that's the really difficult bit. So it is quite hard to, I don't know, maybe there are writers that begin with an ending. I don't know, but personally, I don't. Do you ever find that the ending kind of surprises you sometimes, like it just ends somewhere not where you thought it would? Yeah, and sometimes as well, the ending can be about um, it can be about an emotional thing, you know, like maybe they don't solve the crime, but they've, you know, learned something along the way, or you know, something happens between Eliza and Duke, and that's the ending. So it's it, it's they do vary, but that that's the bit where more often than not, that's where the rewriting comes in. Is you can write anything down, you can put an ending in, and then you suddenly stop and one of us, either Rachel or myself, we will say to the other one, why did that happen? And you go, I don't know. <laughs> there's a guy, have you ever seen um, on YouTube, there's a guy, I don't know his name's Ryan something. He does this thing called Screen Rant where he does pitch meetings. I don't know if you've seen that, but it's very funny. But it's it's a comedy sketch of two people uh, pitching uh, films to each other. And he just has this great line where he just continues again. Why did that happen? And the writer goes, I don't know. That's what Rachel and I do to each other a lot. So, it's yeah. in the script. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I always exactly. say. Why does it happen? Because then it it forwards the plot motion. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Trina on Facebook. How does a show evolve from an ending to a written form to a functional script that ends up in the director's or actor's hands? You know what? I've been doing this for years and. Honestly, I still don't exactly know. Um, I suppose the short answer is it's a combination of persistence and luck. But um, let's say, well, let's say you have an idea, right? So you write a, a paragraph on it and then you, you write a page and then you write a few more pages. You basically do the legwork yourself to get a script. And then at some point, you've got to give it to someone that can actually make it. Because unlike, you know, again, the benefit of a novel is what you write is the finished product, you know, with the exception of a book cover. But all the screenplayers is, is a template for actors and directors to make something. So you do need other people. So you have to give it to someone that can actually make it and actually fund it. And that is um, easier said than done because obviously TV companies get thousands of scripts every year. So you need someone to help get it noticed, to help bump it to the top of the queue. So that could be an agent or a producer. I mean, ideally, you'd be best mates with Benedict Cumberbatch or something like that. And you'd go in with him. But <laughs> Generally speaking, you just have to, you know, know one of the, you know, an agent or a producer and get it to someone. Then when a TV company does show some interest in your script, it's very rarely greenlit straight away. What they tend to do is give you money to develop it. So rewrite the pilot or maybe write another episode, write what they call a Bible. So it's an outline of the whole series with some of the characters in it. And then if they like that, and this can often be years after your original idea, that is when the director and the actors get on board. 
And that is my best guess at a process. There are lots of exceptions to that, but that's generally how it happens. Okay. So that kind of sort of covers Callie from Instagram asking how and where do you submit a script for consideration? Yeah, kind of. I, the one thing I would add to that is, yes, of course, you know, me personally, I, I wrote a script, what they call a spec script. I wrote that and just sent it around to loads of agents. But um, there are other things. I mean, the, um, uh, the BBC has a thing called the Writers Room, which is a, a scheme for new writers. And they, mm-hmm. I think they take admissions every year. They take maybe 10 people. You send in the script and then they uh, give you some tutorials and then they put you they put you to work on on a few shows. So that's quite good. Oh, wow. I think Channel 4 may do something similar mm-hmm. in the UK. Um, but essentially, really, it's just persistence, like I said, persistence and luck. And and then these were a couple of questions that kind of came from a few people. Um, how do you make script changes and do you kind of take feedback from directors, actors, producers and things uh, when changing scripts or scenes that you've written? Mm. So, again, I keep saying this, I know, but varies from show to show. Um, so that comedy I was telling you about, the one, uh, the comedy filmed in front of mm-hmm. the studio audience, we'd sometimes on that be making script changes like during filming with the audience watching. And that was a nightmare. Mm-hmm. I once had to rewrite a scene because it didn't get a laugh. And I was sitting on my laptop with just 200 people just waiting. Oh, my that goodness. was not fun. That was really oh, stressful. Yeah. Uh, but generally speaking, feedback is uh, <laughs> a few weeks earlier uh, or months, ideally. And, yeah, it's a normal part of the process. And uh, I have to be honest, most writers, when you get feedback or notes, you have this rising panic attack because it's so hard not to take it personally, even <laughs> when it's well meant. It's helped to take the the project forward really all you want to, anyone to say when they read your script is that you're a unique genius who's summed up the human condition that's all you <laughs> hear. this is so good maybe there's a typo on page six but that's about it but of course it's never yeah. that simple um but in the end i think most writers realize that good notes that make the script better can make you look better so and we're all in this for the same reason you know to look good so um in fact, I'll give you a good example from, um, we keep talking about Cell 99, but this is a good example. Um, uh, in, there's a scene with Superintendent Sterling. Remember him? Duke's mm-hmm. boss from mm-hmm. season one, Nick Dunning. And there's a scene, uh, I think it's at the start where he's saying to Duke, there's going to be a dinner tonight. It's formal wear. And as Duke is walking out, he goes, no kilts. And he added <laughs> that in. They had lived that. And that really made me laugh. I thought that was great. I thought that was brilliant because at the time I couldn't quite figure out whether Stuart was Scottish or, or Irish because he'd made some sort of a quip in one of the early episodes. And I was like, oh, what sort? Is he Scottish? Because I think he's got. And then when he said that, I was like, yep, he's definitely Scottish. That answered my question. So it was yeah, brilliant. actually edit that bit out because it doesn't make me look good. <laughs> <laughs> nah, it's you can brilliant. leave it in. It's fine. But it's yeah, one it of was those, really, really it, good. Yeah, it's a nice moment. Um, and finally, kind of how much collaboration kind of happens between writers and, and actors in terms of, you know, where the, the characters can go and what sort of things that they enjoy? Because obviously with something like Miss Scarlet, you've kind of gone on for a little bit now and, and probably a lot of the, the guys know their characters almost as well as you do. Hmm. Oh, yeah, definitely. I think that, um, uh, you know, both Kate and Stuart embody Eliza and Duke so I think in terms of, of their performance they very rarely they very rarely get a note about how Eliza would deliver that sometimes you know we, it, there'll be a back and forth you know also with the director about um what our motivation is or 
you know, a logic thing. But generally by now they inhabit those characters. I think that that work is usually done uh, before the filming of the before the filming of the first series. And then perhaps a little bit once you actually see it up and running. Mm-hmm. And then again, so varies from show to show. Now, I've, I've worked on shows where um, you can't even change a line, you know, where the, the actors mm-hmm. literally have to ask to change a line. And both with, with Rachel and I, we're sort of like, as long as it makes sense and there's a rhythm to it, mm-hmm. it's fine. You know, as long as you don't start ad-libbing too much, because sometimes as well, like I've worked on comedy shows. This is not Miss Scarlet. This is a, other shows where someone will go, oh, I'm going to do a funny thing here. I'm going to fall over or whatever. And you go, yeah, that's fine. But your character also, another character in the script that you haven't read falls over two scenes later. Mm-hmm. So like you're not doing this in isolation. So sometimes you have to look out for that kind of thing. But generally speaking, with UK shows, like I said, the generally speaking, you write something and then are not necessarily involved in the production. Mm-hmm. Whereas, say, in America, um, on the big network shows, they, they buy you for a chunk of time, maybe nine mm-hmm. months or so, and you're not allowed to work on anything else. They they, they buy your time and pay you well, mm-hmm. and you just work for one season of, I don't know, CSI Miami or whatever, um, and that's all you're doing. Whereas in the UK, people tend to work on two or three shows at the same time. And that probably makes it more interesting for you as a writer to be able to kind of do different things. Yeah, you know, I think there's pros and cons. I mean, on on the good side, you're not stuck on one show. Mm-hmm. And on the bad side, I think sometimes juggling, like I have done it in the past where I've written three shows at roughly the same time. And it's fine as long as everything goes to plan. Mm-hmm. But then when you say an actor breaks his arm and they go, right, we've got to move up this other episode. You weren't supposed to write till next month. We've got to move that up now. And you go, oh, my God. So it mm, can be, a yeah. and they they don't want to hear that. They they yeah. don't care. They just want it done, and I don't blame them, of course. So it's a bit like when you have a I don't know, you might have a plumber around to your house, and then they go, oh, I've got to do this other job, mm-hmm. and you're just furious, and you're going, What do you mean other job? Well, sadly, our conversation has come to an end. Um, we really enjoyed it, but first we have to uh, stop for our ad break, like we usually do. Um, if you've not joined, uh, we have a Scarlet Tears podcast page on Facebook. We have an Instagram, Scarlet Tears podcast. To if you want to join, um, we have a Facebook Scarlet Tears podcast group. If you want to join, um, we have our Scarlet Tears podcast website, which is www.scarlettearspodcast.wordpress.com. If you want to join and look at all of our episodes. Um, podcast episodes, they are there, um, if you need to find them. Um, so we can be found at various places on social media and the internet. Um, Ben, it has been such a pleasure to talk to you and I'm very glad you joined us, um, to talk. Oh, that was really, really good fun. I really enjoyed that and great questions as well. Thank you. Yeah. We Thank are you so, so much. At, you know, it was such a pleasure. Join us next time, Garleteers, for another fun podcast. And bye-bye. Bye. Thank you, everybody, for listening to this Garleteers podcast. 
Music by Kevin McLeod. Incomatech.com, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribute 4.0, license HTTP colon forward slash forward slash creativecommons.org forward slash licenses forward slash by forward slash 4.0 forward slash.